I'm Molly. And I'm Robin. And welcome to another episode of Home is Where the Murder Is. You get to listen to me today. This is Molly. And Dakota. Dakota is hogging the couch right now. She's Molly's black lab. Yeah. And she's legit sitting in my spot. Yep. So she's a part of this. She is now one of us and she's here. So yeah, but you get to listen to me um, redo. This is our last live one that we did. So this is our last re-recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will be starting new episodes. Yeah. So if you've listened to this one before, thank you for listening again. And if this is new to you, um, I am going to be telling the tragic murder of Jesse Blodgett from July 15th, 2013 in Hartford, Wisconsin. So pretty local. Yeah, and it's. Yeah, and we had, I remember when we did the live show that um, there was a commenter, forget who exactly said, but um, that their brother or some, some one of their relatives lived near where this happened. So, so I mean, you know, it's, it's a Wisconsin, another Wisconsin murder. Yep. Unfortunately. Um, so, I'm just going to get started. Let's do it. All right. Jesse Blodgett was born March 22, 1994, outside of Ath... Oh, I just... Oh, okay. Sorry, my bad team. My bad, my bad team. Got it. Okay, so she was born March 22, 1994, just a baby, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, to Buck and Joy Blodgett. I love the name Buck. Buck and Joy. Buck is an amazing name. And Joy, I mean, what fun. So... What um, fun. What fun. So then they moved up this way, um, and Jessie was something of a star in her hometown of Hartford, Wisconsin. She had a brilliant mind that she used um, to fight for a lot of different causes that she really fiercely believed in, um, which included animal rights, environmentalism, sustainability, social justice, and ending violence against women. Which, she was awesome, yeah. Yes. And um, she was also quite a mu- musician. And it always came back to music for her. Um, She started her own business, even teaching piano, voice, and violin to young people in her hometown. And gained 26 students in just two months, which is a lot. Within two months of doing something like that, like that's amazing. And at such a young age. And she had a long-term vision. Um, She wanted to become a high school or university choir director touch around 100 young lives a year for 40 years, so she really had this goal in mind. Um, and she wanted to use music to impact people and change the world. And she was very serious about this. And she was one of those people that just kind of, you know, they always say, you know, she lit up a room, right? Like, she just really was one of those people that, just a good good person, good human, good heart kind of person. Yeah, like you. Ah. Uh, she was a member of her um, the youth um, theater community in Hartford, Wisconsin, and she sang in the concert choir in high school, and she was also would write her own music. She went to UW-Milwaukee after high school and continued her passion for music there. Um, she also had a very good friend named, named Daniel Bartlett, who was hilarious, outgoing, funny, very smart. And had the same passion for music and shared a love for the stage, just like Jesse. Um, they actually dated for three to four months freshman year of high school, but he broke it off. And there was no real explanation, but they were better as friends. Um, they went away to different colleges. 
But after the first year, they reconnected after um, Daniel, Dan, I'll just refer to him, dropped out of college. The two wrote and recorded a song even together, and they would get together a few times a week just to kind of play and share their love of music and sing, just kind of be together. Um, and that summer, they actually each landed a role in summer musicals. Dan was in Bye Bye Birdie, and Jesse was in Fiddler on the Roof. Um, and then on July 14th, 2013, Jessie finished what would be her last show ever after, um, so it was Fiddler on the Roof and afterwards she went to a friend's home to celebrate with the rest of the cast. So a cast party after that show. Um, yeah. So then July 15th, 2013, she came home late from the cast party, you know, kind of, you know, I'm sure it went into like the early morning hours. Um, and she talked with her mom about how there were two men at the party who were flirting with her. She even wrote about it in her diary. Um, this is what she said. I think I'm being corrupted. I think certain men are taking what should be platonic love and perverting it into a um, competition. I am not helpless. I will recognize problems and confront them without fear. And then she went to bed. So she went to bed early morning, July 15th, um, which is also the day that she was murdered. So, around 8 a.m., her mom dropped laundry in her room before she went to work, and Jesse's dad was already gone for the day at work. Then, her mom left, um, and then came home around noon, and Joy noticed that Jesse wasn't awake and went in to go check on her because I think she had some, like, music lessons that day, so she had to get up and get moving. And then she touched Jesse, and she was cold and blue. Her mom then called 911, and... Um, you can hear the call online if you go online and listen. And it's really, uh, I mean, obviously very sad to hear. Um, Jesse was unres unresponsive, and you can hear Joy keep repeating, she's cold, she cold, she's cold. Um, honey, what happened to you? Honey, no. She then noticed that she had um, ligature marks on her neck, and her pants were all wet. But sadly, it was already too late. So Jesse was found dead in her bed at 19 years old on July 15th, 2013. Buck, her father, you know, came home as quick as he could, but everything was already blocked off and he couldn't go see his daughter or say goodbye. So uh, Detective Thickens was one of the first officers on the scene that day. They found Jesse on the floor with a very obvious mark on her neck and faint marks on her wrist that looked like the binding marks. Jesse's hair and clothes were wet. Detectives think that whoever murdered her washed her and put her back into bed. There's no sign of forced entry, which made them believe it was someone that Jesse may have known. So, we have to start thinking about who would do this. Like, it doesn't sound or seem like this girl would have an enemy in the world, right? No. So, well, in my first thought is even. What happens if maybe she left her window unlocked or whatever? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. Or the front door and so on. I mean, we hear about break-ins all the time. Yeah. I'm like, I get that it looks like it could be somebody she knew, but you also can't rule out the fact that someone might have just broken and murdered her. Right. right. Murdered her like, whatever. come in to, you know, a burglar coming yeah. in to, and then, like, realize that there was someone in the home and didn't want to leave any trace. Yeah. You never know. Well, and, like, a lot of the times we hear cases like this, there doesn't necessarily need a, to be a why. Some people are just absolute monsters. Yeah, and just do it to do it. Yeah. Right. So. But 
they started to think about, you know, again, who could have done this. So first they looked at the people in the cast um, and that she had wrote about the concerns of those older men that had been bothering her. Um, there were concerns with that those people at the cast party that one of them had pulled her onto his lap at the party. And that person also didn't show up to work on Monday, which was a bigger concern. You know, not showing up to work. You know, you think, well, what, why not? Why would this guy yeah, show up to work? Doing? But they ended up clearing him pretty quickly. And also the other man at the party, Jesse, had wrote about. Um, I think that, you know, they had alibis. It just, you know, yeah, it wasn't them. Even though they sound like creeps, older men hanging out with a bunch of teenagers. Don't do it. Just stay in your lane. Probably drinking and pulling them out of their lap, it sounds like. So stay away, creepos. But there was one question that puzzled the officers. Um, There was no break-in involved in the murder. So whoever had killed Jesse must have been familiar to her. Um, There was no way that she would welcome those misbehaving men into her home. You know, it was someone that she was obviously comfortable with. And like you said, maybe the door was unlocked or a window was unlocked. But I think that um, when Joy left for work that day, I think that she had locked the door. I don't think, you know, I usually if you leave for work, I I can't imagine that she would have left her door unlocked with her daughter there just sleeping upstairs. Yeah. So I think that they realized that, you know. Yeah. Right away. Right. So, but what the force in Hartford didn't know, that a neighboring town, Richfield, was already narrowing in on the suspect, but for a different reason. So three days before Jesse's murder, Melissa Etzler was walking her dog in a local park when she was tackled from behind from a man with a knife. She fought him off. So she fought off this guy with a knife that came up from behind her, and she's with her dog. Which, as somebody who's sold houses in Richfield, that does not happen. Like, yeah. it is a nice neighborhood. Yeah. In Hartford. Yeah. But, like, that, that is... Right. Nice. I, if you would have told me that that happened, I probably originally wouldn't have believed you because nothing happens in Richfield. Right. And that was the same with, like, before, too, I, I forget what it was, but, like, there had been a murder in, in, yeah. in yeah, in Hartford for, like, decades and decades. decades. I, I, should, I think it was should 40, have, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I should look that up. So this was, this really rocked their town. Um, so Melissa says that she was getting ready to leave when she heard footsteps, so she looked back. Then she said to this person behind her, oh, you scared me, thinking there's just, you know, you're out for a walk, there's someone behind her, you, you're like, oh, gosh, you scared me, kind oh, of a thing. There's probably oh, open there. I'm sure there was an open. <laughs> um, you know, just thinking it was a friendly person. And, you know, she checked back again, looked, and she saw that this person, this man, had a knife in his hand. She began to fight once he grabbed her. She took the blade in her hand, and, uh, and so she's hanging on uh, the blade in her hand. She has control of it. And then um, he, and then he asked um, if he could just go. Like he's like, I'm all right. Never mind. Can I just go now? I can't take down this. Um, I'm gonna go. Yeah. And then she goes, No. She answered him, No. You can't just go. So she cut the knife. So she grabbed the knife. Um, it was a fish fillet knife. Um, so this was all very bizarre. He ran off, um, and he dropped a couple things on his way. So she remembered every detail of him. Like, she's star witness, A-plus gold star. He was a white male, between 18 and 20, about 6'2", maybe around 210 pounds, with light blonde hair, fair skin, plaid shorts. 
She could also describe where he was parked and the vehicle within a few years because she watched him run away in fear, right. basically. <laughs> this guy wanting just to get out of there because he realized, oh, I can't take that I can't do this. <laughs> so she took note. They released a sketch, but they didn't get anything. I mean, honestly, that description is a lot of people. Let's be real, right? Um, but um, eventually they did release the van details and they got a hit. Deputy Meyer um, from the Richfield Department said he saw a car parked like that a few months ago and that he actually had a plate because he had ran it that day because he thought it was kind of strange how it was just parked yeah. where it was. So he just was checking in on it. So he remembered that description. So he looked back and he found it. When he put the name to the plate, the minivan's owner did not look like Melissa's description. However, when the officers looked a little deeper, they realized that the owner, so who it was registered to, of the minivan had a son that matched Melissa's description exactly. So this was, you know, three days before Jesse's murder. So back forward, um, you know, after Jesse was murdered. So we're fast forwarding a few days again. So um, a bunch of people were over at Jesse's house for, uh, you know, just kind of getting together, remembering her, talking, um, sharing memories of Jesse, crying and hugging, just, you know, being there for one another. Um, and Dan was there, too, and he was said to be doing most of the talking that day, you know, because they were close. They had been spending a lot of time that summer together, you know, so while he was there, he got a call. He didn't seem to be upset or surprised and said he would be right over. So um, Daniel never even asked, you know, why, what this was about. It was almost like he knew. So um, that call was that he got called down to the police station. So he left. So... Starting to put a couple things together here. Once he was at the station, he was asked if he knew what it was about. And he said no. You know, they informed him that they were, they were there to ask some questions about an incident that had happened a few days ago. Um, you know, the incident in Richfield. They were making small talk, and, you know, he kind of mentioned that he was over at Jesse's house. The cops asked if he knew what had happened to her, and Dan said, I think she was raped and murdered. Um, that was in the first two minutes of their interview of him being there. Mm -hmm. So just remember that. So then they started asking him about the attack in the park. He denied knowing anything about it, obviously. But then they noticed an injury to his thumb and his arm. He said that he got it at work, you know, whatever. Detective Welsh asked if they checked with his employer if they would confirm that Dan got this at work. And Dan said, oh, yeah, actually, no. No, they wouldn't because actually Dan didn't have a job. So, kind of back to where we just recorded, he pulled a John List where he would get up, get ready, and say he was going to work, and he never did. So, he would uh, go to a park and sit and work on his writing, because he was also an author. Yes. He, was writing, he was writing a book called Red is Red. That's so, very interesting that we yep. just did the job. Yep. And so, he, he again, he, he didn't want to, like admit to his parents because he dropped out of college after the first year he was home for the summer he didn't have a job i'm sure he just felt like a big puddle yeah. of crap basically so he would say that he was getting up and going to work each day when actually he was just kind of going around to parks and obviously uh is that what i'm terrorizing to i'm showing houses today right terrorizing people <laughs> oh I no thinking no i don't do that don't do that please um so so yeah he's like yeah no i don't have a job yeah, actually, I got I got this injury when I was cooking. I just cooking at home. Well, and, then, okay. and then the detective said, oh, yeah, really? 
He's like, so you got that for cooking at home. No one, that didn't really happen, did it? And he goes, he goes, well, well yeah, actually, you're right. Um, I, I was at that part. Um, and he did admit to attacking the girl then. He said he was overwhelmed by his life circumstances, like losing his job, not enough money, not being in college, and therefore he wanted someone else to feel scared about life, too. That is the shittiest thing no. I think I've heard in a long time. I think, you know, he was just looking to get that, like... That's like people that... Fear, yeah, like... Yeah. That, like, want to commit suicide, but then they want to take people out with yep. them. Yep. Sucker. Yep. So, um, so there, that was that. So, at the park, they found Dan's blood on multiple items and some heating duct tape and matches that, um, had fallen out when he had, like, ran away in fear of this woman <laughs> that was obviously amazing and you know yeah. held her own so great job um and it matched some similar stuff at his house so um you know so they kind of had that going for him and then also melissa identified him in a lineup she said she was 100 percent sure that was who it was because remember she's a plus gold star so dan gets arrested but then they start to think about it a little bit more like this guy's a pretty shady character right he had just attacked this woman you know, and people seem to escalate, right? Yeah. He knew Jesse, and, you know, could he have been the one to kill Jesse? One thing that made them think about this was in the very first two minutes of the interview, if you remember, he said that he thinks that Jesse was raped and murdered. Um, police at this time didn't even know that Jesse had been sexually assaulted. So there was nothing in the media about that. There was nothing. So that's, that's why, why, if she's your good friend, would you say that she was raped? Right. I mean, like, why would you jump to that conclusion, especially if you're mourning her loss? Exactly. So, again, um, it, it was just kind of a red flag, right? So Dan was said to be one of the most intelligent people that they had ever interviewed, though. Maybe not, you know, that first interview, but he had a way about him. Um, remember, he was also a trained actor. So and he was, you know, getting starring roles and productions. Granted, they were, like, local, but, like... Yeah. You know, he takes the talent. Well, right, he had some talent. So he knew how to put on a show. Um, but only the killer could have known that Jesse had been raped because there like I said, there had been no information about that. So he didn't really hide that too well. So while Dan sat in jail, they were digging deeper. They started looking at Dan's computer and they found a lot of sketchy, awful things on there, including bondage porno and other dark, dark stuff that they didn't even put out there in any of the sources I found. Um, so including a snuff film and in that snuff film, the victim was washed just like Jesse was. Ugh. And then they found a Wikipedia search about spree killers and serial killers, which listen, if that's in your, um, your browser history, that doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying, because we searched that too, but with everything else combined with us, well, yeah, I mean, people. right. There's that. <laughs> And Dan seemed particularly right. interested in serial killers with multiple female victims, which, you know, if you look at the attack in the park and also the murder of Jesse, you know, yeah. multiple female victims. So they decided to ask Dan about what they had found. This time, Dan was a lot more careful to, you know, watch what he was saying. He had said that him and Jesse had been hanging out a lot more in the weeks leading up to her murder. And that they actually did have a romantic relationship, but he didn't tell anyone because he was seeing someone else. So kind of, you know, she was kind of on the side. You know, he had this other girlfriend. Um, 
And then the entire time, though, he made it seem like he was crying, but there were no tears. So he's an actor, not a very good actor, but he made it seem like he was putting on this whole sob story. Um, Dan's whereabouts the day of Jesse's murder. He said that he was driving around in his parents' van, you know, pretending to be at work, like he said, and he went to the park to work on his writing. Um, and in his book, it's a book about a young girl that would eventually be murdered, who he named um, Jessica in the book. <laughs> so that's pretty close to Jesse, if you ask me. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't seem so intelligent. Uh, so he admits to killing off Jessica in his book, basically. So he's like, yeah, she got killed in my book. But he keeps on denying any involvement in Jesse's actual real-life murder. Then Dan gets a little less here. He starts using his right to remain silent and asks for a lawyer. So he's like, crap, you know, this is getting serious. So he had confessed to nothing. His alibi was that he was at Woodland Park, and he was. They do have video surveillance of him there. So uh, were the police too, you know, quick to try to pin this on him? You know, just because it seemed like, you know, he was close to Jesse. He had just done that thing in the park. But... You know, it just kind of seemed to all add up. But Jesse's parents did think, you know, like, you know, slow down a bit. They knew Dan. Um, you know, Dan had been at their house grieving and crying over Jesse. Um, you know, they knew Dan. Like, he had been over to the house a lot. They had, you know, known him growing up because they went to, you know, the same high school. So, you know, her parents kept on telling the police that Dan was a good guy and it wasn't him. It couldn't be. You know, who would do such a thing as go back to the victim's house and sit with their parents and cry and share memories of the person you killed? Who would do that, right? Why? Why would anyone do that? But, but then, the police go to the Woodland Park and start going through the trash to check on his alibi because they did see him there. So they're like, okay, let's just, you know, go through this, check on everything. There they find a cereal box, which, you know, whatever. But in that cereal box... There is a ball gag, ligatures, alcohol wipes, rope, and then also some duct, like, dryer tape. So the trash, um, and the rope in the trash had the same lines, which would kind of match up perfectly with the marks on Jesse's neck. So it wasn't just, like, a random piece of rope. It was the exact same, like, width that was the marks on Jesse's neck. Um, This rope was also in Dan's garage. Also, the tape that was found that he dropped back um, uh, at Melissa's attempted assault, um, it was the exact same tape that they found under Jesse's bed after taking another look at the scene a week later. Oh, boy. And it had Dan's fingerprints on it. Well, he's Louise. And then Dan's DNA was found under Jesse's nails, and both of their DNA was found on the ligatures. Holy So moly. things were really starting to line up here. Um, so what... You know, what do they believe happened? They believe that on July 15th, when Jesse's parents had been gone, Daniel made his way in. So, again, it was someone that she knew. Yeah. Maybe he knew where they kept the key, you know, whatever. But, like, he made his way into the house. He had a bag full of the stuff he needed, zip ties, ligature, alcohol wipes, ropes, tapes, gag, etc. We don't really know how he entered. Um, Either Jesse opened the doors or somehow he made it in. But once inside, Daniel pounced on her, put a gag in her mouth, and wrapped her head with tape so that the gag stayed in place. Knowing Jesse couldn't make a sound with the gag in her mouth, he tied the rest of her body and went on to assault her. Once he was done, he strangled her to death. Next came staging the body and destroying the evidence. So Daniel cleaned her body with alcohol wipes. He 
he, um, which he had saw in that snuff film he watched. He then adjusted Jessie's posture to make it look like she was sleeping and pulled a blanket over her and quietly left the house. So this is what they believe happened still to this day that so, asshole Dan has not admitted after to. After all this evidence, mm -hmm. he's still not admitting No, no, what no. What a piece of shit. Right. So, um, and they did find DNA that indicated that he did sexually assault her as well. And after all of this, you know, yeah, exactly. How could he deny it, right? How could you deny? Awful. Um, Dan could present himself however he wanted, but how could you hide that truth, right? Yeah. Um, even without a confession, he was charged with first-degree intentional homicide of Jesse, his friend, remember. They were friends. That's the worst part about it. Right. Like, that's somebody you trust. And something, right, and something that's so haunting. If you go online, you can find a video of them singing together. Oh, no. Um, but there's the question of why. Why did this happen? What did Dan say then? Did he come clean? Nope. Nope. He never did. So during the trial, you know, he never came clean. He never admitted to it. And when he was given the opportunity to talk, he talked to Buck and Joy and said, I wish I could give you the answers you were looking for. This jumpsuit, these shackles that I put in, don't make me guilty. I can't prove that I'm innocent to anyone, not even myself. I can't prove that the sun that I haven't seen in over 400 days still even rises and sets. But I like to believe it does. The only reason, the only reason that I went to trial at all is because I was told I wouldn't be allowed to acknowledge that I couldn't refute the evidence and just accept sentencing without saying I had done something I hadn't. I'm suffering now more than I ever have. Judge Martins, I pity you. My conscience is clear. Oh, so, what a drama queen. Seriously, like actor, like drama, laying it on. Yeah. It's all <laughs> over everything. Right. They never found anyone else's DNA. It was him. I mean, 100%. Like, and he, what was the beginning of that statement that he said to Buck and Joy? He said, I wish I could give you the answers you were looking for. But you can't. You can I think we should all write him nasty letters and really cute cards yeah. that, like, like, you know, a cute little, little yeah. kitty on it, or cute kitty on it, looks like a happy card, and then yeah. he says, you're a pile of shit. I mean, and he, yeah, he never apologized, he never admitted to it. He continued to deny what he did, and he is sentenced to life in prison without parole. Parole. Fuck yeah. Parole, yeah. So, you know. Well, that's if, awful. If um, someone were to murder, you know. One of my kids. Oh, I don't think that I would be quite as nice as Buck is. So okay. this is what Buck was able to say. I forgive you, as I have every single day since we found out it was you. I believe there is good and bad in every single one of us, so I don't demonize you. Wait a second. You forgive somebody who won't even yep. take responsibility for what they had done? Mm-hmm. That's just... Yeah. I mean... I think that that was the way for him to be up. I get that. that. I do. But I just don't get how. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like if I were in that situation, I wouldn't even be able to forget right. unless I, they could openly admit I made a mistake. Oh, yeah. Like, it's one, it's one thing to be like, you know, to say, I screwed up. I took your daughter. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. that's not. But, like, and it's still just the worst thing you could possibly do to someone. But to, the least you could do is admit your faults, admit right. what you've done. 
Take responsibility for it. And Especially with it. the evidence that is so clear. Exactly. It's with you and proving that it is you. So I give, I give Buck tons of credit for being right. able to do that. But oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I could not do such a thing. So, like, why why did he do this? You know, I think just Jesse was a convenient target. Yeah. He wanted to kill someone and she was there. Yep. <clears throat> Same reason that he attacked Melissa. Just wanted to. You know, he said that he just wanted someone to feel fear, basically, like he did. It's just so sad because watch the other people be yeah. because of your failures. Mm-hmm. What the hell is wrong with people? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, luckily he was caught when he was because I do think oh. that he would have continued on. He would have been a serial killer on and on percent. Absolutely. So thank goodness yeah. that he was caught when he was. Yeah. So It is surprising to me, though, that even though it was a convenience thing, obviously, I am surprised that he did go after somebody that he cared about because yeah. what we do hear about like serial killers and stuff is that they normally don't target people that they know because they don't want to have that relationship with the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sitting on your dog. I just was trying to see what their time was. Oh, I'm not there. It is. No, I just agree. It's funny though because she just randomly keeps waking up and like freaking out. Like all of a sudden she's like, "Wait, what?" Oh, okay. yeah. Sorry. Um, yes. So I just think it's interesting that he started off his what would have been his career killing spree yep. with someone that meant something to him. Right, exactly. So but, I, and the only thing you can hope is that he sits in jail every day. And he will. He's going to be riding in prison for the rest of his life. He's had a few appeals but has lost them all, which I... Because he didn't believe he will continue. Do you think when he so, run, runs out of appeals he'll finally admit the truth? No. I think that he's so... I, I think that, no. I don't you think he will. Convinced himself he's convinced himself, yeah. Somebody else was there with his DNA? Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, so Buck is honoring his daughter's legacy, though. He started Love is Greater Than Hate Project. It's a nonprofit to end violence against girls and women and to inspire everyone to choose love over hate, which is very beautiful. Um, it's what she would have wanted, he said. Um when reporters interviewed Buck, he did not speak with anger, hate, or revenge, but he spoke about forgiveness and love. Um, one month after Jesse's murder, 500 people showed up to a candlelight vigil at Hartford Park. Across um, banners and wristbands and signs was the simple slogan, love over hate. It became clear to Buck that something good needed to come out of this tragedy and that he needed to make it happen, and so that's when that project was born. And you can um, visit that at... Um, the love is greater than hate project.com. So um, it's a really nice place to go. You can see some pictures of Jessie. She's just happy, a joy, just, you know, you can just see her happy in her life. Um, but yeah. So a little bit about the house now. Um, the exact address has been changed, which is interesting. I was trying to look up information on this house, but the original house number like the actual address is different than what when this murder happened so um 3560 wayside drive is the original address but now it is 1795 wayside drive um so 3560 wayside was built in 1959 as a four bedroom 1.5 bath cape cod it had a two car attached garage and is on 1.58 acres um but then it was Later on, when it became 1795 Wayside Drive, it was a three-bedroom, 1.5 bath. So it was down bedroom, maybe because of lack of closet, or maybe they made something out of her bedroom. I don't want to assume, but, like, 
you know, I, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, it could be lack of closet, you know, but it's interesting that it went from a four down to a three, but maybe they just made the bedrooms bigger, who knows, but it, it's just interesting that she was murdered in her bedroom and now it's a three bedroom instead of a four yeah. bedroom. So, um, yeah, so the property was listed on August 31st, 31st 2018 at 249000 and the price was reduced only one week later to 239900 And it went under contract with buyer on um, October 11th, 2018 and sold on November 1st, 2018 for $229,000. Um, it was also on a double lot, and it could have been divided up if wanted since it was um, on 1.5 acres so so yeah so not too much about the house there are people currently living there um but if they yeah. want us to come through and take a look at it we'd love to do that so because i'm curious about what happened yeah i, I wonder what happened with that 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 bedroom situation but but yeah so so that is the tragic case of jesse so I don't know about you, but I think that we should maybe spend our February, because it's February 1st today. Yep, it is. We should, um, any closing or uh, any clients that we get this month, how about their closing? We donate $100 to the foundation. I love that. In their, in their name? I yeah. love that. Okay. So if you schedule a consultation with us and um, get under contract by the end of February, we will make a donation to the foundation that is honoring Jesse's legacy. Yep. The love is greater than hate. Love is greater than hate. Project. We'll, yep, we'll make a a hundred dollar donation on your behalf. Yep, uh, for being a great listener of our podcast and also supporting um, our real estate business and, and a beautiful, a beautiful foundation. foundation. Yeah. Yep, great job. Yep. That was a very sad yeah. story. It's and very sad because she was so young and it just sounded like she had so much to give to the world. Yeah. So that's always well, sad. I mean, murder is sad overall, but. Yeah. It, this was just so, so senseless. senseless. So and it, and it, he doesn't take responsibility. Right. And he's still. It's just bad overall. Yep. So. But again, thank goodness he was caught because I do believe that he would have done it again. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he was caught quickly, too. Yes. Yeah, great work by the Hartford Police yeah. Department on that one. They yeah. did really good work there. I mean, you don't have a lot of crimes like that in the area, so. No. And I mean, it went from the attack three days later, Jesse's murder, and then a yeah. few days later, basically. With. Yeah. He was arrested for that attack and then he never really. Yeah. yeah. So, cool. Awesome. Well, uh, I don't know if we do we have any announcements or anything. I don't think so. I mean, just again, thank you for bearing with us as we're figuring this all out, too. Yes. We, we're still working through um, noises and things like that. We do have yeah. the heater running. We have a child upstairs. We have a dog here. Um, but you know, it's life. But we're just doing the best we can right now to get these up to you until yeah. we can get our space. And I know a lot of our favorite podcasts, like the audio quality is always subpar necessarily in the beginning. Yeah. You know, and so we'll continue to improve. So with that, too, if anyone has um, great suggestions yeah. on what we can, you know, if you want to hear a case or if you're like, oh, I love, you know, this type of product for recording or whatever just let us know yeah. we would love to hear that too yep, you so. can join our facebook page home is where the murder is 
and you can post um, suggestions there or just enjoy our community that we have built there. Oh, also reviews. Oh, yes, we could also use some reviews. Yeah, preferably good ones because yes, I like good reviews. We want to get better at this. But, but don't lie. If you don't love us, just don't say anything. That's there okay. There we'll go. never know, so yeah. don't tell us. But if you do like us, if you like our podcast, if you like what we're doing, just give us a little shout out. That would be amazing because then it'll help bring our podcast up closer when you search it too. And it'll only so, get better from there if we all it work sure together. Will. Um, also, you can reach us at home is where the murder is at gmail.com if you want to submit any comments, questions, concerns, or suggestions for future podcasts. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks for being with us today and have an awesome week. It's midweek. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I Just guess. continue to be you and awesome. Yay. There it is. Okay. Bye. Bye.